0: I figured out why everybody sits three rows back, because these three rows get freezing, actually really, really cold, and so, um, except for James, he likes it because it blows right where he's at right there, so he enjoys, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Second Timothy. We are in Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 14 verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Mike and Stephen have Bibles that they will give to you if you don't have one. So get your hand up and they'll get one right to your seat. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I know we looked at the first five verses last Sunday, but it was Father's Day and we kind of did a special Father's Day message. So we're going to go over the first five and then move on to all the way to verse 14 this morning. Right. Starting in verse 1, we read, Paul write, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from where you have learned them. The them of my study this morning is Preserving Through Perilous Times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord, for your word, Lord. And as your spirit breathes life into your word, into our hearts, Lord, we know that you desire to do that work in our lives, Lord, to change us, to draw us closer to you, to convict us, exhort us, encourage us. We just pray, Lord, that your spirit would have free reign in our lives this morning as we look to you. We pray your blessing upon our time together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, they're not saved, they're not born again, they, they're still in their sin. Lord, we pray that they would see their need for you and they would come to you this morning. We thank you for this time, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friends keep saying, cheer up. It could be worse. You could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. I said, I know he means well. Get it? Well, hopeful. Or the old joke about the guy who was told, cheer up, things could be worse. So he said, I did as I was told. I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. That, in a nutshell, is the message of 2 Timothy. The apostle Paul had been writing from a prison cell in Rome. He knows that his own death is imminent, so he wants to warn his young son in the faith to me that that if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. Now, although Paul never loses his faith in God, it's clear that as he got older, he was deeply concerned about the trends that he saw all around him. And I think we, too, today are deeply concerned with the trends that we see all around us this morning. If you recall, Paul started out this chapter by saying in verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, we know uh, the world is oblivious to these perilous times that, that, that are here. But for us Christians... We see all the signs. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 30. He said this, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Notice that even during the Great Tribulation, just prior to Jesus' return, people are going to be oblivious to the signs of the times. They're going to be going about their daily business totally unaware of what time it is on God's prophetic time clock. It'll be the same as it was, Jesus says, as in the days of Noah. As Noah entered into the ark... In uh, the floodwaters came, the judgment of God upon an evil people. They were totally unaware until it was too late. So too it will be when the rapture of the church takes place and the seven-year tribulation begins. People will be totally unaware about what's going on. Jesus also gave the illustration of Lot. He said this, that as soon as Lot was taken out of Sodom, the judgment of God fell. But the people, they were oblivious to that coming. Uh, that was coming as well. Their hearts were, were, were darkened and they couldn't see. Keep your place in 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a a moment and turn with me over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. I want you to look at what the days of Noah were like. Starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, that they took wives of themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. Those who, those were the mighty men of who who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Notice in that section of scripture, that the, 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 the trafficking into the spiritual world, demonic activity coupled with man's wicked hearts. The whole earth was, was violent and bent on evil continually. Now, I don't know about you, but from my perspective, I see a, a world today that, that is bent on evil continually, demonically energized. It's a frightening thought to realize that every lost person has the potential of doing such great evil. We I mean, consider what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus said in Matthew fifteen, nineteen, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, and you look at the activity of man today, and you can see that every imagination of his heart is bent on evil. The world is a very violent place. Jesus said it would be like in the days of Noah. He also said it would be like in the days of Lot. Well, what were the days of Lot like? Well, turn now over to Genesis chapter 19. Just a few pages over. Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 1. We read there, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. Verse 2. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Notice that sexual perversion, how sodomy affected all of society from the young to the old. You might say they came out of the closet and into the streets, flaunting their sins with no remorse. Folks, we see sexual perversion at an all-time high. This anything-goes mentality. We see the media flaunting this. The people flaunt their sin and the imaginations of man's heart is evil. Now you may say, come on, Pastor Tom, I need an upbeat message today. I mean, that, uh, I know we see that stuff in the world. That's kind of disheartening. But here's the good part. Jesus says, when the world gets like this, like in the days of Noah, like in the days of Lot, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your head, because your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming back. So as bad as this world gets, the more excited we should be because we know the Lord could return for His church at any moment. The rapture of the church could happen right now. Right now. Right now. One of these Sundays, I'm going to get it right. (laughs) See, the good news is like Noah, who according to Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So to those of us that have surrendered our hearts and our life to Jesus Christ, we've experienced that same grace. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we'll escape the judgment of God that's coming upon this Christ-rejected world, just as Noah did, just as Lot did. So what does that have to do with our study this morning? Well, Paul knew these hard times were coming. Days of stress were just around the corner. And if a man or a woman was not ready, if they didn't brace themselves in advance, He might just be swept away when things got rough. And so Paul has a game plan for Timothy. Three things, if you're taking notes this morning, that we're going to see. Flee, number one. Number two, follow. Number three, fight. There you go. That sounds contradicting. But you'll see. We need to do all three. Let's start with number one, flee. Now turn back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Knowing that it's going to be perilous times in the last days... Paul went on, as we saw last time together, to give Timothy really a sobering catalog of corruption. What men's hearts would be like. And we looked at the different characteristics of those living in the last days. It's a list of what happens when a people, when a nation turns their back against God. First, starting in verse 2, there's a total rejection of God. People are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. As a result, people become unthankful and unholy. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving, and slanderers. Finally, there's a total breakdown of society. People will be without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That last phrase, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, means that, that in the end, anything goes. No rules, no moral absolutes, no restraints of any kind. You make your own rules. You answer to no one. You are the one that matters. Your universe revolves around you. Every man does what is right in their own eyes. And woe to the person who dares question his lifestyle choices. So what does Paul say to do about these people living in this way? Flee. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Chapter 2, Paul said, flee youthful lust. But here in chapter 3, Paul says, Flee people, flee, turn away from those who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. That word form there means something like, or having the outward appearance of. And so it's having the outward appearance of godliness, something like, you know, flee those. When I was young, we would spend our summers at the beach, Newport Beach in Southern California, and he would always tell the posers, the posers were the guys that had the surfboard and they would stand on the boardwalk and they'd just sit there with the board there or they'd stick it in the sand but they never actually got into the water but they had the, the sunscreen on and all that just and don't I look good. It's just this poser. Well, Paul is saying in the last days there's going to be posers. Religious posers. On the outside they may look like they're serving the Lord but their hearts are far from them. You see as men turn away from God they'll become more and more religious actually not less. It'll be religion for religion's sake, not religion for the sake of knowing Christ. We see it all around us today. I could give you a list of names of churches within a five or six mile radius of a church that would fit into this category. They look Christian. They may even have a Christian name. They look at least religious. They talk about spiritual things, maybe. But but what is missing is Jesus and the following of His Word. In particular, they will embrace a kind of postmodern religion that allows them to do anything believe anything, endorse anything, live any way they choose, as long as it makes them happy. Many years ago, a married woman wrote this letter to Dear Abby to justify her adultery. She writes, He's also married. We meet once a week at a motel for three hours of heaven. My husband knows nothing about this, and neither does my lover's wife. Sex with my husband is even better now, and it's not as though I'm denying my husband anything. I teach a Sunday school class at church every week, but for some reason, I feel no guilt. I looked up six churches, church websites, within a few miles of ours, and jotted down something from each one, and it may shock you. I won't give you the names, but I'll just tell you what I found. The first one had a special series going on they were doing called Reading the Bible Again for the First Time, Taking the Bible Seriously, But Not Literally. second one was holding a camp called Fish with Feet. This is a camp designed to help kids K through five learn about the origins of humanity through scientific and creative exploration. Evolutionists. Third church, they had the name Christian in their church, had in their statement of faith, we pursue a new kind of progressive spirituality. The truth is, there is no one path, but we all walk together. Wherever you are on your faith journey, you'll find a place here. Fourth church, with the word Christian in it had in their statement of faith. We are a non creedal church, asking only that congregants believe in Jesus. It's up to the individual believer to work out his or her own doctrine. Obviously, we are people who have many different opinions, but we value our diversity. Fifth one. We believe the Bible should be taken seriously, but not always literally. We believe that Christianity did not begin with the confession Began with an invitation into friendship and community and relationships based on love and mutual respect and service. Sixth one. Last one. In their statement of faith, this has got to be the, the top of the list. We studied the Bible as history and allegory and interpret it as a metaphysical representation of humankind's evolutionary journey towards a spiritual awakening. In addition, we recognize that the Bible is a complex collection of writings compiled over many centuries. We honor the writings as reflecting the understanding and inspiration of the writers at the time they were written. Six different churches within five to six miles of us that have a form of godliness but deny its power, that deny God, they really deny Jesus Christ. What does Paul say here? He says, how do we respond to this? Fleece from such people. Turn away. Have no fellowship with them. That's my point. You can't have, have fellowship with, with darkness like this. Now, well, having nothing to do with them, that's pretty clear. But it's also, uh, in the eyes of many people in the world today, they'll say, well, that's judge- judgmental. You're being narrow minded. You're, you're, you're kind of rude, unfair, un- un- unkind, and, and a host of other things that are not politically correct. But I'm telling you, the Word of God stands and remains the same. We're to have nothing to do with religious teachers organizations who call themselves churches who do not believe the Bible and do not accept its authority over every area of our life, including sexual morality. Such people are religious but lost. In fact, Paul goes on, look at verses 6 and 7. For of this sort are those who creep in the households and make captives of gullible, gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't get the idea here that, that Paul is trying to pick on a certain type of women. Oh, all, women are all gullible and then, you know, loaded down with them. No, he's just trying to show here who the false teachers seek to target, who they keep, seek to come after. Those who are lonely, those who are vulnerable, those who are gullible, those who are struggling in sin. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, both can be led away by these religious phonies seeking to draw you away into their cults. Those who end up creeping around our neighborhoods, looking for people, you know, they have time knocking on your door, you know, they look for the gullible people. They look for those that, that will listen to them and say, well, let us hold a class in your house so we can share interesting insights and experiences. Please, take this magazine. It's called The Watchtower. It's called the, the Book of Mormon. And you'll have people, men and women, say, oh, that, wow, that sounds interesting. That sounds true. Paul is saying here, he's talking about false teachers, and in the context of, of, of three here, he, you know, he saying, stay away from them. He says in verse 7, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning, but they're learning false things. And then he reminds us in verse 8 of the Old Testament magicians that attempted to do the same miracles that God did through Moses there in Pharaoh's court when Moses came to seek the release of the children of Israel. Look at verses 8 and 9. Now as Janice and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Janice and Jambres, if you remember, there are two musicians there in Pharaoh's court who withstood Moses by duplicating the miracles that Moses did. They were, you know, part-time posers, I guess, imitators. Moses' staff became a snake, so did theirs. Moses turned the Nile to blood, so did they. Moses brought fogs, frogs, so did they. Dust to lice. Now, here's what's in their folly. Each thing they did, did nothing to help Egypt, but only made matters worse. There, there were more frogs. I mean, there, there more blood. There was more snakes. Listen, that's always the way it is with Satan's counterfeits. He never makes anything better. He makes everything worse. That's why Paul says, "Turn away from them, flee." Now this brings us to our next point. number two, follow look at verses 10 through 12 it says, "But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice here, first off, Paul says to Timothy, You've carefully followed my doctrine. Listen, doctrine does matter. And it's not to be left up to whatever you want it to be. Now, we have a statement of faith on our bulletins. It's what we believe and why we believe based upon the Word of God. That's what doctrine is. Now, the very first doctrine that Timothy followed from Paul had to have been that of saving faith. I mean, Timothy heard the gospel message from Paul and received Jesus Christ into his life as Lord and Savior just as the Lord got a hold of Paul there on that road to Damascus and Paul gave his life to the Lord. Paul says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. In other words, Timothy, you paid attention to all that I've taught you and you've applied it into your life. Two things we see in that. Number one, Paul was teaching the Word of God. He was teaching doctrine. And number two, Timothy was learning. He was learning. He was taking heed to the Word of God. And again, sadly, by that list I just read you, churches today aren't teaching the Word of God. And if they do, it's a watered-down version that people don't even know what they believe anymore. Salvation isn't important. Some just make up their own idea about what what God's Word says. I like what A.W. Tozer said about this. He said, It would be impossible to overemphasize the importance of sound doctrine in the life of a Christian. Right thinking about all spiritual matters is imperative if we would have right living. As men do not gather grapes of thorns nor figs of thistles, so sound character does not grow out of unsound teaching. See, we need to honor God through honoring His Word. Believe God's Word because if we do, others will see our faith. It's real and will follow our doctrine. They'll come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the first time, you know, I heard someone you know, teach God's Word. And I'm, and I'm looking at this I'm going, I can't believe this is in the Bible, this, this, uh, this doctrine. And I started to follow. I started to apply it to my life. I was blessed. Paul tells Timothy, you've done this. Then he goes on, look at verse 10. He said, you followed my manner of life. He was an example to Timothy, and, and Timothy followed his example. He watched how Paul lived. Paul didn't preach sacrifice and then live in luxury. You know, Paul lived as a servant, not a celebrity. He gave more than he received. Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. I remember when I first got saved, and, and I started attending Harvest Christian Fellowship with Pastor Greg and Lori back then in the late 70s, and, and uh and I got to know Greg a little bit and I saw that he was not only a man of the Word but, but he practiced what he preached. He lived his life that way. Years later, I moved up to the high desert with Pastor Dennis and we got to be good friends with his family. And the same thing was true for Pastor Dennis. I saw a man that not only taught the Word of God but lived it. And these men are still that way. Let me ask you this morning, are you the same person at church as you are at home? How do you spend your time each day for the Lord? What is your manner of life? Look at it this way. Suppose you had a bank account that every morning credited your account with $86,400. Now, you were not allowed to have any cash left over in the account by the end of the day. What would you do? You would withdraw it fast, right? You'd put that ATM and get it all out of there. Well, believe it or not, you do have such an account. Not monetarily. It's called time. And each morning, you are credited with 86,400 seconds to spend as you wish. Whatever is not used is lost. There are no balances to carry over the next day. No overdrafts. All records are destroyed at the end of the day. If you do not use the daily deposit, the loss is yours. There's no returns, no drawing against tomorrow. Listen, time is a thousand times more valuable than all the money in the world. And people are watching you and I and how you're spending your time. What manner of life are you living? Timothy saw the manner of Paul's life and he caught it. And he was living in a way to want to pass it on to others. But Paul goes on to Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. Next he says his purpose. Timothy saw that Paul's life had direction, had purpose, that he just wasn't aimlessly wandering around. Paul's desire was to see people saved, to see them grow in their relationship with the Lord. and, And he was willing to go anywhere and do anything for the Lord as the Lord led. A classic example of this is found in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. Let me read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. It says that now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to uh, Mys- Messiah, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Messiah, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision... Immediately we start to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice what happens here. The door opens up and Paul immediately goes in that direction. When the door shuts, he stops, he goes in a different direction. He's following the Lord always on the move. Why? Because he had a purpose, he had a plan, he had a goal. He did not want to waste one moment of opportunity. Do we live the same way? Are we following Paul's example? We need to have our goals. We need to have our purpose in what we do. I think of the fairy tale Alice in Wonderland. Alice is having this conversation with the Cheshire cat and and she asked the cat, Would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. Well, I don't care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Where's God calling you to go? What is God calling you to do? As Christians, we need to have that purpose. We need to have that goal. We need to be directed by God and go for it. Roger Starbuck, former quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, was a a plebe in his first summer at the U.S. Naval Academy and expected to be unobtrusive in the presence of upperclassmen. However, at breakfast one Sunday, an upperclassman began prodding Roger. This guy was a backup quarterback on the football team and, and well aware that soon Roger would be competing for a spot. Hey, Staubach, he barked. I hear you're going to take my job away. Is that right? No, sir, replied Roger. The upperclassman pressed the issue. That's strange, he said. I'm sure that's what I heard. Well, what is your job, sir, asked Roger. Number two quarterback, the upperclassman announced. Well, I'm not going to take away your job, sir, Roger assured him. The upperclassman seemed satisfied until Roger added, it's a starting quarterback job that I'm going to take, sir. And he did. He did. What about you? Do you feel that God has you here today for a purpose? Then This is your your moment. If you're born again, you have a purpose to serve the Lord in any capacity that He leads. and You need to go for it. Timothy saw the purpose in Paul's life and he caught it and now was to pass it on to others. May we catch it too. Then he adds three more things that he wanted to pass on to Timothy. He wanted Timothy to follow. He says, follow his faith, his long-suffering, and his love. Now Timothy saw that, that Paul was a man of faith, that it was real. He trusted in the Lord. He believed in the Lord no matter what he was going through. Timothy saw the, the long-suffering of Paul, that he was patient, teaching people the things of God with a passion. And Timothy saw the love Paul had for his people, the love of God, that agape, unconditional love. Now where did all this come from? Paul's manner of life and his purpose and his faith and his long-suffering and his love. They came from the Word of God, from doctrine, from correct teaching. See, once you're saved, uh, the way you conduct your life, the way you live life, is according to God's holy word. Once you're saved, you, ha- you have a purpose, you have direction to follow God as He leads. Once you're saved, you believe God's word, have faith in what He has promised, and is able to bring it to pass. Once you're saved, you're long-suffering, you have that agape love as the Lord uh, as the Lord does. See, it stems from being saved and built upon that, which in turn produces perseverance. That last trait, look at verse 10, and then verse 11. Produces perseverance, and then persecutions and afflictions, and then it goes on, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, What persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Listen, just because we're saved... Just because we live a life pleasing to God with the purpose and faith of long suffering and love, doesn't mean people are going to applaud you. Doesn't mean people are going to love you. Doesn't mean people are going to, going to you know, encourage you. In fact, they may even come against you. What happened to Paul at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? Well, in Antioch, Paul was kicked out of the city for preaching the gospel, Acts thirteen fifteen fifty rather. At Iconium, Paul was almost executed by stoning in Acts fourteen five. And at Lystra, they actually did stone Paul and leave him for dead in Acts 14, 19. But I love what Paul says in verse 11. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Through the suffering, through the persecution, the Lord delivered me. Paul remembered this as he sat in prison and waited execution. He knew. God was more than able to deliver him again if that's what the Lord wanted for him. If not, it didn't matter to Paul. He was at complete peace, leaving it in the Lord's hand persecution was not going to stop Paul from following hard after Jesus. In fact, Paul states it clearly in verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a promise we like to claim, but but a truth that we must believe. If you're living godly for Christ Jesus, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face opposition. Jesus put it this way in John fifteen eighteen through 21 He said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own, Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. See, we're in good company when we face persecution for our faith, when we face harassment for being a Christian. Paul is saying we need to persevere as these persecutions and afflictions come more and more our way, and they will. And here's why. Jesus put it this way in John 3:19, And this is a condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The days are evil, their deeds are evil, and what happens when the light comes in? It shines in their eyes. And as long as, as we're being a light reflecting Jesus in this world, we're not going to be appreciated. I don't know about you, but if I'm sleeping in my, my room and it's dark and, 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 and someone comes in and flips on the light, I don't really appreciate it that, that very, very much. I don't enjoy that very much. But you know what? That's our job to do. To be used by God to wake people up to shine the light of God's love into their faces. And they're not going to appreciate it. They're really not until their eyes get used to the light, until they see Jesus face to face for themselves and they know how awesome it is to walk in the light as He is in the light. That's why we persevere. That's why God still has us upon this earth so He can use us just as He's used other believers in our lives to open up our eyes. This brings us to our final point. Number one was flee. Number two was follow. Number three, let's fight. Look at verse 13 and 14. But evil men... And apostles will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Sometimes it's a fight to continue in the things that we have learned from the, Lord, from the Lord when the whole world starts to come against you. But it's a good fight of faith. It's standing firm on your faith. Paul is saying, it's going to get worse. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. And, and if he said that some 2,000 years ago, I would say we've definitely gotten worse today. These guys claiming to have connection with God, but denying the power of the life, they're, they're not really born again. It's, he said that's going to increase in the last days. They're going to have a disregard for God's word. They're going to mock God's word as being inspired from God. They're going to, we're going to look at that next time with verses 14 through 17. All that to say, though, the warning to Timothy and to us is to know that what what you believe. Know who you believe, Jesus. And don't let anything move us from him because it will affect all that we do. Yet we're living in the days of Noah. We're living in the times of Lot and the Lord's return is getting closer. And so as we stand up for what is right, as our light shines, the unsaved try to put it out because, again, it exposes their darkness. So there's a fight. There's a spiritual battle taking place for the lives of men and women everywhere. Our responsibility, don't give up. Persevere through the perilous times. Let me say this, that these, these signs of the last days shouldn't discourage us for a couple of reasons. Number one, first, bad times are made for godly people. Let me say that again. Bad times are made for godly people. That is, when times get tough, good things start to happen in our lives. Think about this. What takes wrinkles out of a shirt? You know, an iron pressing down with that heat. What turns a lump of coal into a diamond? Heat and pressure. So I've noticed, too, the tougher the times, whether it's financially or spiritually or or relationally, the more the wrinkles are smoothed out and the more brilliant the light of Jesus shines and the more people grow in their walks with God. Secondly, godly people are made for bad times. Let me say that again. Godly people are made for bad times. Think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just three teenagers who refused to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They said, throw us in the fiery furnace. If God chooses to deliver us, so be it. But if not, that's okay too. When, did, uh, when were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seen in, the, in this light? When the time for the darkest. So too for us. It may be dark at your campus. It may be dark in your office. It makes it easier for you to shine for Jesus Christ the more you'll stand out when you're living for Jesus. The darker it gets, the more opportunity will be for, for the true lovers of Jesus to stand out. But again, our responsibility is to persevere through the perilous times. I found this story about Death Ann DeSiantes and her attempt to qualify for the 1992 Olympic Trials Marathon. The story goes, a female runner must complete a 26-mile, 385-yard race in less than 2 hours, 45 minutes to compete in the Olympic Trials. Beth started strong but began having trouble around mile 23. She reached the final straightway at 2 hours, 43 minutes, just 2 minutes left to qualify. 200 yards from the finish line, she stumbled and fell. Days, she stayed down for 20 seconds. The clock was ticking. 2 hours, 44 minutes, less than a minute to go. Beth Ann staggered to her feet and began walking. 5 yards short of the finish, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. She began to crawl, the crowd cheering her on, and crossed the finish line on her hands and knees. Her time, 2 hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. She made it. I wonder how often we give up because, oh, it's just too too hard, too much work, not enough time, whatever excuse may be, and we miss out on what God is going to do in our life. We need to take the example of Paul. Paul, at the end of his life, he was able to say this at 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but also on all those who loved his appearing. Paul was ready to go. I believe Paul thought, if the Lord takes me, great. I believe Paul thought the rapture of the church was going to take place. I believe Paul sitting there in prison going, I think the rapture could take place right now. I think he was aware of that. And, and you know what? I believe, again, as I shared already, I believe the rapture of the church can take place in my lifetime. And there are people who will ridicule us for that. Oh, if it didn't happen in Paul's lifetime, then, then what makes you think it's going to happen now? Listen, throughout history, the greatest men and women of faith have all lived their lives believing that the Lord's coming was near. Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Moody, Finney, Torrey, they all believed it. You know, if they believed it, then we're all in good company, Okay. And besides, 1 John 3, 3 tells us this, that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, it has an effect on how we live. We may go home with the Lord tomorrow, but the Lord may rapture us tomorrow. Either way, we're going to be seeing the Lord very soon, so it should have an effect on the way we live. And it, it does. Our hearts don't get so troubled so easily. We're not prone to sin. We're not prone to giving to temptation. It produces uh, purity in our lives. If you know that the Lord could rapture this moment, you're going to want to live a life pleasing to Him to not be ashamed of His coming. So as we close, Timothy saw and caught the perseverance, the persecution and afflictions that Paul had, and he was to pass that on to others, encouraging them to fight the good fight of faith. Yes, the days are perilous. Men are, are perilous. The imagination of a man's heart is evil, and we do see the violence filling this earth. That just means the Lord's coming soon. So stand strong in the face faith, pass it on to others, let them see your faith is real and how the Lord will see you through these storms of life as he did Paul. Paul, I want to give you this last verse. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One more story, and we're really close with this. I keep saying this three times we're closing with this, but this is the last story. I shared it about a year ago. I didn't share it first service, but I think it fits in the study, and, and, and I kind of ran out of time for service. But this goes back to uh, 1980. and This young man from Rwanda who was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death, he refused to renounce Christ, and he was killed on the spot. But the night before, he had written the following commitment letter, which was found in his room, and it goes like this. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, or first, or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience, lifted by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear." I will not be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the ad- adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until He comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement through your word that we can stand strong in these dark, evil times because we have your Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Nothing can stand against you, Lord God. You are our defense. You are our stronghold. You are our King, you are our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you brought to our lives, that you open up our eyes to, to see and to know that you are our Savior and our Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that is yet to give their life to you, Lord Jesus, to surrender their hearts to you, Lord, would you touch their hearts even now in these moments as we close, that they would see their need to come to you and turn their life to you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? You want your sin forgiven. You want to be born again. You want to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and that He's given you His grace and He'll save you and He'll bring you into eternity in heaven with Him. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be born again today. Just raise your hand up so I can see it today. God bless you. I see you. Anybody else? God loves you so much. he sent His Son to die on the cross for your sin. So you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. If you just put your faith and trust in Him, He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you for your sin. Anybody else in these last few moments? Maybe at one point in your life you committed your life to the Lord, but You've walked away and it's been a long time since you've been walking with the Lord. And now you want to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's your desire, you want to make a recommitment to Him this morning. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This one that has raised his hand. I want us to pray with him. And I want you to pray this prayer. This is just a prayer of asking Jesus into your heart. Ask him to forgive, to forgive you of your sins. Just pray this prayer with me. Just repeat after me and we can pray with him. Lord Jesus.